0: Today is a very special day. A day for celebration, flowers, and cake. A day to celebrate what you love. Of course, I'm referring to Statehood Day. On February 14th, 1912, the territory of Arizona became the state of Arizona and the final continental state to join the union. This is the same year that the Girl Scouts of America was founded. The Titanic sank, and Louis Armstrong dropped out of school at the age of 11 and started singing in a quartet of boys. But Arizona's path to statehood started much earlier. Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast that explores Metro Phoenix and our state through history, arts, sciences, infrastructure, and more. We answer the questions you have about the Valley of the Sun. I'm your producer, Kaylee Monahan. Today, we look back on how Arizona became a state and what admission day looked like. of the land that would become Arizona was annexed to the United States at the end of the Mexican-American War in 1848. In the Treaty of Guadalupe-Hildago, Mexico was forced to cede 55% of its territory, which included most of what would be Arizona. Later, the Gadsden Purchase annexed much of what would become southern Arizona. And that was finalized six years later in 1854. During this time, Arizona was actually a part of the New Mexico Territory. It wasn't until 1862, 14 years after the war with Mexico, that then President Abraham Lincoln signed the Arizona Organic Act. This separated Arizona from New Mexico making each its own territory. Now, it is important to note that before this, the Arizona Territory was previously recognized and claimed by the Confederate States of America during the Civil War. However, the boundaries of that territory were not identical to the Arizona Territory that Lincoln signed into existence. And history buffs will also note that the only Civil War confrontation in Arizona was a skirmish at Picacho Peak, But that's a story for another time. For nearly 50 years, Arizona remained just a territory. Conversations about making it a state did happen, but the Eastern and Midwestern states in Congress were not keen on accepting Arizona.
1: Congress said that you only needed 60,000 inhabitants to become a state. This is Heidi Auxelier, an independent historian
0: specializing in Southwest history. She is also the director of the Arizona History
1: Convention. Arizona had reached twice that population by 1900 and still wasn't admitted because a lot of people in the East, especially members of Congress, believed we were more of a foreign territory than one that looked like Anglo-Americans. They thought too many people here didn't speak English. Um, There were too many transient um, men in the state that spent more time in brothels and saloons than they should, and uh, of course they're referring to the large mining population in Arizona. The copper mines were in full upswing, but also Many uh, foreign workers were here, not only from Mexico, from China, from uh, Europe. A delegation from
0: D.C. was sent to Arizona to do some fact-finding about the territory. And what they saw didn't impress them.
1: When Senator Albert Beveridge of Indiana came with his committees on the territories in 1902, He just made a point of saying this, this was a place that just wasn't ready to be part of the United States.
0: Arizona, in their minds, was an uncivilized frontier, an image many Arizonans resented. That prejudice kept Arizona from achieving statehood much sooner. But why become a state anyway? Well, you might think, of course you want to be a part of the United States. Plus, there was all that Manifest Destiny mentality going around. And just in case you forgot your history lessons, Manifest Destiny was the belief by the Eastern Anglo-Americans that expanding the U.S. throughout the North American continent was not only just, but inevitable. But the mood of the other states clearly didn't feel that inevitability towards Arizona. But back to the question, why become a state? Here's Heidi again.
1: We were really controlled not only by Eastern politics because we were just a territory and didn't have voting rights, but also controlled by big Eastern and European corporations, mining companies and railroads. And because of that, the average person here did not feel like their vote counted for anything or they had a say. It was a very skewed power system. At the time, Arizonans didn't have a say on how the
0: state was run, nor did they get a voice in Congress. There was a brief moment in the early 1900s when Arizona could have become a state, but
1: it wouldn't look like the Arizona we know now. Well, they had been petitioning Congress for many years and it was reviewed in the 1890s and in fact there was a vote in 1909 to admit us uh, jointly with, with New Mexico. We would have been one big state with the capital probably in Santa Fe and they put that to public vote Here in Arizona and New Mexico, it passed in New Mexico, obviously. They were more populous, so they had a lot of votes for it. But the overwhelming vote here was against it, and that just killed the bill. And then they realized in Congress after that, okay, if we're going to admit them, we're going to have to admit them as two separate states. The
0: politics and demographics of New Mexico were just too different from Arizona's at the time. New Mexico was Republican, and Arizona was Democrat. Congress was majority Republican. Now, it's important to note that the two parties were different from how we know them to be today. At this time, the Republican Party had more liberal leanings than the Democrats. This was, after all, the Republican Party of Lincoln, who signed the Emancipation Proclamation.
2: Whereas on the 22nd day of September, A.D. 1862, proclamation was issued by the President of the United States containing, among other things, the following, to wit, that on the first day of January A.D. 1863, all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state, the people whereof shall then be in rebellion against the United States, shall be then, thenceforward and forever free.
0: The progressive side of the Democratic Party that we know today didn't really develop until the Great Depression in the 1930s and with Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal. But early Arizona was more liberal than the other states during that time. There was a strong backing for labor unions, direct democracy, and women's suffrage. One of their
1: most important uh, sympathizers was George Hunt, even before he was governor. George Wiley Paul Hunt. Born on
0: November 1st, 1859.
2: He was born in uh, Huntsville, Missouri, which was named after his uh, grandfather.
0: This is historian and ASU professor emeritus, Dave Berman. He's written 10 books, one of which is a deep look into George Hunt, the man who would become the state of Arizona's first governor. I caught up with Dave on the phone. Hi, Dave. I'm can here. you hear me? Okay? okay, perfect. And you can hear me, okay?
2: I can hear you well. And there was wealth in the family, but not in his particular family. He was raised on a farm, uh, outside of Huntsville. But uh, subsistence living—they pretty much depended on the food that they grew to, in order to survive. And uh, he had a number of siblings. And uh, by the time he was 18, he had enough.
0: Hunt followed the adage of the day. <laughs> Looking for gold, he ended up in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado before making his way south to Globe, Arizona in 1881. At the time, the town was nothing more than a mining outpost.
2: He started off as a waiter and then he joined a a firm that uh, sold goods to miners. Uh, and he got to know a lot of the miners, and he became very much attached to them. He was already a fairly liberal Democrat and interested in politics, but he was very much impressed with the, the working conditions of miners, and he thought that, that they needed help. Uh, so he became very, he developed a very close tie to labor.
0: He got a job at the Old Dominion Commercial Company at the age of 31. Then he worked his way up to secretary, and eventually became the company's president. By 1904, he became the mayor of Globe and set off into a life of politics. Hunt's name became increasingly recognized in political arenas. He served on the Arizona Territorial Legislature and then in the Arizona Territorial Council where he was president in 1905 and again in 1909. Then, in 1910, he presided over the Arizona Constitutional Convention that laid the groundwork for Arizona's admission into the United States. Hunt was instrumental in getting Arizona's Constitution put together.
2: He was a politician, and of course, he thought that it was extremely important that he get elected, and so he was, uh, (laughs) he did whatever (laughs) politicians do to get elected.
0: Suffice to say, Hunt had big ideas for what Arizona should look like and he wanted to be at the helm. But despite his ambitions, he was very well regarded, so much so that Arizonans kept electing him.
2: He became the uh, first governor elected in 1911, and he took office on uh, February 14, uh, 1912. He was elected uh, seven times altogether. He, he won in 1911, and then he won six more times after that, back oh, down wow. to the
1: was the one that we call the father of Arizona's Constitution.
0: This is Heidi again.
1: What he did was form our Constitution that was very popular here in Arizona, but maybe not so popular with President Taft and some of the leaders in Congress because it was much more progressive and liberal than most state constitutions at the time.
0: Congress did eventually accept Arizona, but President Howard Taft vetoed the admission.
1: Why? It's the recall of public officials, and specifically, he was against the recall of judges. Taft had aspirations
0: of sitting on the Supreme Court, and he did, in fact, sit on the bench between 1921 and 1930. He's the only person in American history to be both president and a Supreme Court judge. In his mind, it was inconceivable that judges could be removed from office by the public. To him, the judicial branch was above politics, nearly sacred. What he didn't understand, perhaps,
1: was that Arizona allegedly
0: had many corrupt
1: judges. He indicated he would not approve it, so the Constitutional Convention amended it to take out the recall provision. But after admission, Arizonans voted that provision back in.
0: Another provision that didn't make the initial draft, but was later voted into the constitution, was the right to vote for women.
1: Even though women suffrage leaders like Frances Willard Mons and Pauline O'Neill all testified before the, the constitutional delegation, they were voted down on their amendment. And so what they did is they waited till statehood and they could put a, an initiative on the fall ballot and they won with almost two-thirds of the male votes in the state, which was the largest margin of victory for women's suffrage in U.S. history.
0: Eventually, both President Taft and Congress did approve Arizona's admission to the union. And there was much
3: excitement among the denizens. Arizonans are very excited about statehood because... The large majority of them will, this year for the first time in their lives, cast a vote for the president of the United States.
0: That's Sativa Peterson. She is the news content program manager at the State of Arizona Research Library. And then the tombstone epitaph uh, really lays this out. Sativa has a really cool job of preserving and cataloging Arizona's old newspapers. She even
3: pulled several papers from Admission Day on February fourteenth, 1912. It says... Beginning today, for the first time in its history, the people of Arizona are governed by men of their own selection. Heretofore, the appointment of the men who ruled over us has been in the hands of the president. And while the appointees have, with but few exceptions, been conscientious and capable, the people chafed under a system that did not give them a voice in the choice of their own officials.
0: Now the governor of this new state, George Hunt wanted it to be a solemn affair with much dignity and humility. He started the ceremonies by walking to the Capitol. Here's Dave again.
2: Hunt was a progressive, and progressives went out of their way to minimize the uh, pomp and ceremony of, of being governor. And they, they opened their doors to anybody wanting to come in and see him. But the idea that they're walking, they're not being uh, uh, they're in a carriage, you know, that everybody can wave to them, But they were walking and of course, he didn't walk that far.
3: The next morning, if we go and look at the front page of the Arizona Republican, this is sativa. Of course, we see you know, on the masthead right up there at the top, you know, bright folds of old glory have a new star. And there it says that, um, you know, George W.P. Hunt takes oath of office. Ceremony was strikingly simple. We also have cheers greet joyful news of statehood. For all the
0: stately seriousness that Governor Hunt wanted to portray, the rest of the new U.S. citizens were ready to celebrate.
3: Phoenix is wild with enthusiasm over the statehood proclamation. And in Bisbee, they reported that the hills reverberated with shrieks from the numerous mine whistles and deafening roar of cannons in honor of statehood. And Douglas, the news here was heralded by blowing of every whistle in the city, and also Tombstone, The signaling of the statehood proclamation was the signal this morning for prolonged ringing of fire bells, blowing of mine and locomotive whistles, and numerous dynamite sticks being lit. The occasion was enlivened by the presence of a number of cowboys from the ranges who punctured the air with pistol shots. So what happens is, it's, you know, it's February 14, 1912. It's a Wednesday. The weather is really fair and nice. And quite early in the day, just after 8 o'clock in the morning, a telegraph arrives from Washington that President Taft has signed the proclamation of admission.
0: And so, Arizona became the 48th state to join the Union and the last of the continental states. The rough-and-tumble image was tamed enough for Congress to finally accept Arizona 110 years ago today. And this is only skimming the surface of Arizona's statehood story. If you want to hear more about Arizona's early history, send us your questions to valley101.azcentral.com. For everything else you need to know about Arizona, download the free AZ Central app, available through the App Store and Google Play. And don't forget to check out our other podcasts, The Lab at AZ Central and The Gaggle. Whether it's science or politics, we got you covered. You can follow this show and all the others at A-Z-C Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Please rate, like, and subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. I'm your producer, Kaylee Monahan. Join us next week for a new story from Valley 101.